Hello, fitness humans. Welcome to Wave Talk, episode 20. Can you believe it's already 20? Not really, actually. I can. It's been a really long time. <laughs> Today, we are so excited to be joined by Georgia Ellenwood, who just competed for Canada in the heptathlon. Did I say that right? Yeah. All right. Well, which we're going to get to explaining what that is here pretty quick. But for now, we want to get right into talking to her. So I'm going to pass this over to Dee and we're going to start asking the hard hitting questions about real estate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Congratulations on your recent purchase of your house. Thank you. Uh, I don't think people know this yet, but that is okay for you guys to announce. <laughs> but by the time this comes out, everyone will yeah. know. Everybody yeah. will know. Yeah. yeah. The housewarming parties, the gifts. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. we go. <laughs> we'll, we'll send you an edible arrangement. Just to make sure we have your address before the end of the <laughs> Perfect. So we're so happy to have you here, fresh off of the Olympics which is super, super exciting. Um, like, well done for making it to that. Bravo, applause, applause from the gallery. So you competed in the heptathlon, and maybe before we start talking a little bit more about your experience, you can just give us a quick rundown of like, what is a heptathlon for all these people who are listening? Yeah, so the heptathlon, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of the decathlon, but it's the men's version of what we do. And it's been going on for so many years and heptathlon is what the women do um it's on a point system so there's seven different events which is why it's named the heptathlon and it's over a two-day period um it's going to be four events on the first day three events on the second day and it consists of running jumping throwing it's pretty much a test of like the ultimate athlete and so each event you earn points and then at the very end you tally up all your points and whoever has the most points is the winner. So that means you don't technically need to win every single event. You just need to be the most well-rounded. So the first day is the 100-meter hurdles. And then you move to high jump. And then shot put and the 200-meter. And then you go to sleep. And the next day you come back and you do long jump, javelin, and the 800-meter. So it's really like diverse in the events to make sure that you get um, a little bit of everything and then it shows who is the most well-rounded. So I think it's a really cool event. Well, clearly you focused a lot of your life to get there and be able to do that. It's like, it's like an event of how I wish we voted here. <laughs> Just put all our politicians through seven different events. No, I'm saying, it's like, yeah, like if, if we could like rank our votes i'm just saying like that's you know then like that's that's the whole thing that's this no, is no this okay. is great this is the perfect event oh that's great okay so we talk about the heptathlon so what did it take to get to being able to compete in the heptathlon in the olympics like we had covid that happened so things were delayed you've done tons of training worked with coaches there's a whole mindset thing there's a lot of travel involved like how was your journey to make it to the big stage yeah it's very hard to compare how like maybe the heptathlon versus individual events so like the 100 meter or the open long jump open high jump because for the multi-events it's really big in europe so we have to travel a lot to get our olympic qualifiers in so there's something called like the professional circuit, which is a series of competitions that um, you go to in order to qualify for the Olympics. 
But because Canada had such strict travel rules in the beginning, like April um, and May, like around that time, I was like, I'm even if I am fit enough and I'm capable and I have all the resources here in Canada, there's it's going to be impossible to make it because I can't attend these competitions. And so that was the biggest struggle this year. And not even, I fully believed in myself and I thought that I could make it to Tokyo, but being able to have the opportunity to make it was harder than actually going. <laughs> and so um, I, I struggled a lot in the early stages, you know, going to the airport, being denied of my flights, having the right documentation, but they all, there's just so much um, gray area with that. And I don't think anyone really knew what to do. And so it was kind of heartbreaking to know that I might not get the opportunity to qualify. Um, luckily, I was able to go at the very end when it counted. And even though it put so much immense pressure on me to be able to do it in that one competition or in that one or two competitions, um, it worked in my favor and I was able to perform in those moments. But I'm I'm very sure that for other people, they didn't, that wasn't the, the case for them. And they had one chance to try and qualify and they weren't on that day or they were sick or whatever it was. And they didn't get to go to the Olympics because of it. And now they have to wait another three, four years for the next Olympics. So it is a lot really mentally challenging. And I think this year was even more so than others. That's a huge amount of stress to put on somebody that, you know, one event can make or break four years of hard work. Well, longer, but it feels like a minimum of four years of hard work. How did you handle pressure like that? Yeah, and um, I've talked about it with a few people. Um, it's it's definitely like the battle is it's as much as it is physical, it's so much of a mental game as well. And you have to be in the right headspace to be able to perform. No matter how fit you are, if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't have like a very healthy mindset going to the competition, chances are you're not going to do very well because you can't execute the way that you want to. And so um, I think that was what I found this year that allowed me to ultimately get to the Olympics because um, I had to cope with like, if I don't make it, I'm going to have to be okay. If I do make it, then that's awesome. I know that I'm capable of making it, but I'm going to have to be able to cope with both alternatives. And um, I think that's something that I struggled with for a while because I've been training for over four years uh, or <laughs> my lifetime pretty much to make this event. And um, you have to find a way to move on with your life if it doesn't work out the way you want it to. So I think I got to the point where I was like, why do I do this sport? I like it. It's fun. It challenges me. It makes me a better person. So no matter the outcome, I have all those things going for me. So I'm going to become a better person and athlete through these challenges anyways. So obviously I want to make it and looking back now, I'm very, very happy that it was the case, but it could have gone a different way and I would have had to be okay with that. And I don't think a lot of people are. And that's when they face these really dark moments after something like that, when it doesn't go the way they want it to. So I think that's why it worked in my favor because I was prepared for both, but I wasn't expecting not to make it. So one thing that you brought up um, through that answer was that it's something you've been training for your whole life. Um, so you're born, uh, the doctor slaps you and then immediately it's heptathlon <laughs> or like, <laughs> like, so like what's a label on my forehead and they're like, 
And I was like, from then on, I have to be this. And so my like, parents made it work for me. That's phenomenal parenting right there. Um, but like how, so how long have you been training for this? Was this kind of always the way it was going? How did you reach the, because I don't, I don't ever think of a time uh, in life where somebody like, you know, I mean, like with soccer, it kind of makes sense. With, but I, I don't know how people get into something like that. Pathalon. So, yeah, I mean, like in elementary school, like you like tripped and fell and like threw a fork across the cafeteria in like <laughs> kindergarten. And somebody was like, I am a heptathlete coach. You are going to be great at javelin. Come with me. Like, how does that happen? How does that work? You know, ironically, it kind of works a little bit in that way because it's very big on recruiting like you see potential in people and these college coaches and stuff see potential in people who have natural abilities so if you see someone who has a good broad jump or uh, has a little bit of high jumping experience someone who it has generally good endurance then you like look at across the board and see if they're a well-rounded athlete and go that looks like a decathlete i'm going to train them for the decathlon starting now and so it was a little bit like that for me, but I explored a lot of the events when I was younger anyway. So I did like the 400 and the high jump and everything my brothers did. And so oh. um, I think it kind of just fell into place. Like there's nothing that outweighed the so, other. And so I um, I just started doing all of them at once. <laughs> so you come from a family of um, random, whatever that was, that Greek or Roman <laughs> like numbers the hepta the mm -hmm. deca like all those things like you come from a family of those types of athletes or is that um i should maybe check on ancestry.com to see where this originated from or if i was just like always just a pretty average kid and then i trained enough in all of those events and become became above average enough to to qualify for the major event because <laughs> it's not like anything I'm like a true heptathlete, which means that none of my events are that much stronger than the others, and none of mine are too much weaker than the others. So there are heptathletes, which is what makes this event so interesting, is that there's so many different combinations that you can put together a point total. Right. And so for me, it's like someone, maybe one of my competitors might look at my scores and be like, oh, she's a threat because... She has no weaknesses, hmm. but I also don't look like um, it would be easy for me to beat somebody because nothing stands out as being super impressive, Right. if that makes any sense. And so for uh, to look at someone like me as a competitor, it's where I kind of sneak up on people and at the end, my point total is way higher than anyone expects because it's there's no highs and lows. It's consistency across the board. So really interesting to look at that with, compared to other athletes because some have like a massive javelin throw and then they can't run an 800 and um, sometimes my strategy outweighs that strategy so it's really cool to see how all of that plays out it was right. very confusing as a viewer to figure out like who was leading the event i was like i don't know yep. where anybody stands based on how they performed in these things yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. That was that was definitely the toughest part of watching. That was yeah. was like understanding, not knowing how, like, because I didn't really understand that the point total like was all cumulative. Um, so that makes a lot more sense to me now. So thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, now I have to go back months and tell my former self that it's okay. I now understand. <laughs> we will get this information eventually. 
So even though your performance is consistent across those seven events, is there one that you find is just more challenging for you, either mentally or physically, or something that you just find you struggle with a little bit more? Yeah, there is. I've always tried. I'm not like the biggest person or the tallest person. And a lot of hip athletes are like 5'10 or taller. Like you have to be quite tall for it because a lot of the events require you to have, you know, uh, natural height. And so um, like hurdles, the hurdles are lower if you're tall. High jump, obviously, if you need to get over a higher bar. You have longer levers in the throws. So that's something I've struggled with a bit. Um, I am good at the running and and fairly good at high jumping for my size, but the shot put is something that I have a bit of a disadvantage in just because of uh, my size and I have to balance my body weight too to be able to uh, cover all of these events. So that's something that I need to work on a little bit and especially comparatively to the Europeans, they outthrow me in, in a lot of uh, instances so hopefully I'll figure that out next year but it's kind of fun to have room to grow like I I'm ne- I don't think I've fully hit my potential in any of the events and that's why this event is so fun because there's always something to learn and there's always opportunity to get better so I think even when I retire I don't think I would have felt like I reached my full potential hmm. And do you like you're going to continue obviously with this track that you're on not to coin a phrase um but that like you're going to continue like try to qualify for the next Olympics and the next like I like I assume that there's other competitions outside of the Olympics. Um, yes, like world championships and yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, this next year, and I think that's what people forget is that there's other competitions in the Olympics. Like we just don't train for four years and then compete. Um, but this next year is the World Championships, which is in Eugene, mm-hmm. Oregon. And then there's the Commonwealth Championships, which are in England, but they're so close together. And I want to go to both of them really badly, but they have tackled it like a marathon. You can't do it like two of them in a week. You have to take a lot of time to recover. And so that's going to be a challenge for later. And I haven't figured it out. And maybe my coach will let me do both, but my body will obviously take a beating for that. Um, and then I do want to continue training until the next Olympics, which is Paris 2024. And then we'll see how I feel after that. But I think at some point I do want to start my real life, which means um, like maybe meet somebody or have a family or get a, on a career path that is in athletics. Like after that, I feel like there's just so much room to, to find out more about myself off the track. Interesting. Yeah, it's um, you're kind of in this interesting spot because with a lot of our clients and listeners, they are people who are... Uh, they have careers that are not related to athletics and so they are prioritizing their jobs their families social events um, and workouts sort of are the lowest on the tier even though like they know it's important it's for longevity but it's not always easy to fit it in so for you I mean even right now I imagine it's kind of an interesting time that you're just off of a big competition so like where's the balance now while you're sort of recovering from um, the Olympics and then where's the balance when you're ramping up training again like what what does that look like for you? Yeah that was a really difficult um, thing to navigate right after the Olympics because I had spent so much time especially in the weeks leading up to it just track is like 
everything is track. You're thinking about track when you're on the track, you're thinking about when you're off, you're thinking about it at every moment. And you try to find a balance like you don't want to be, but you're gearing up for the biggest moment in your life. Like it's really hard to find a distraction. And so that was pretty much my whole life revolved around my sport for so long. Um, I found it hard to find time for anything else. I found it hard, hard to even focus on anything else. And then immediately after the Olympics, you're kind of like, okay, well, I'm not going to be training the same. What am I um, focusing on now? What am I training for? And the answer is you're really not training for anything for a few months. So like, how do you let your mind and your body relax and find like some sort of outlet in something else, which is really difficult. And so um, I think a lot of our, our, us Olympians who I talked to a couple other ones and they said that they had that kind of post-Olympic almost depression, just like you don't know where to go next yeah. in your life. And so you put so much time and energy, like anyone in any career, you put so much time and energy into something to achieve something. And then like, what if you get let go of your job or like, what if something yeah. happens, you know? Um, and what so then you have to pandemic? find, you're almost talking about like a night pandemic. I'm sure so many people could relate and um, you just have to, to, to figure out like what other aspects of your life is there in your life that you can um, put some attention towards. So it's been an interesting time for me right now, just because that um, track and field is not at the forefront and I've had some fun exploring the other opportunities and I'm finally like kind of enjoying that again because when you put so much time and energy into something and then you don't have it for a while you kind of need to reset your mind um, and bring a different perspective to be able to enjoy other things and so I've been doing like artwork again and um, seeing my friends and family and enjoying the outdoors and things like that and trying to put training in the back of my head for a little while um, and so yeah I'm sure people can relate in any career path like they, we all have a really major passion and I think we think about it 24 7 and so what can you find as a balance so that you're not so um ingrained in that that like you don't have a way out you know what yeah, I mean? and I think so. um that kind of pushes me out to a question about um this idea of like balance between like regular life and uh, uh training kind of pursuing your question from earlier is there like so I mean like through your sport through the various groups that you're dealing with regarding the sport is there any like support mechanisms that are provided like counseling like training um like not training sorry like like brain training why are my words gone right now what's happened to them um you're coming from like a place of of you know like pressure that is is going to be more than a lot of us have to deal with uh, on a regular basis, right? And you're constantly like under that that um, um, umbrella of of pressure of performance. So, like, is there is there any support yeah. mechanisms? Is there any like like does Justin Trudeau come over to your house and like provide <laughs> free like counseling or anything like that? Like, how does it work? I don't know how it works. I don't think he knows of the triathlon, sadly. <laughs> but um, yeah, there is, and and. I think most athletes use it and I've used it at points in my life. I think just now I'm at a pretty healthy place. So I find, um, I find like therapy in my family and my friends because they understand me. They, they've known me my whole life, but sports psychology is like a really big thing. And mm. most, 
most Olympic athletes have seen a sports psychologist. Um, and I think what people assume is that we only go to see a sports psychologist when we're in a really bad place or if like we just had a tragic event or something like that and you go to like heal, but it's also like just keep you on track because when you're doing well and you're succeeding, something's going right, you're in the right mindset. So like, how do I maintain that over a long period of time? Um, but luckily for me, I like, I just have really supportive parents and friends and I know that no matter what happens in a competition that they're going to be there. Like I'm still their, their blood. So, um, no matter what happens, like you. we can wow. all be together was there ever like that's that like begs the question was there a point where you were like concerned that that wasn't the case <laughs> don't answer that no, no like, you, know, you get in your head a little uh, bit like you think that you're disappointing people and if if things don't go your way if you're not like doing something constantly impressive you think that you might like let somebody down even like the way that you let yourself down when that happens like you think you're that effect you're having that effect on somebody else as well and most of the time it's not the case like they're gonna love you unconditionally and I think that's where I'm really fortunate is that my family does and so um especially when that last competition happened and I was like oh like I might not make the Olympics like how do I come to terms with that and then my family constantly reminded me like just go out there and have fun like we'll be here no matter what and so I knew that I was coming home to a family that knew me really for me and not by my performances so, and I imagine really cool. that takes so much of the pressure off in that moment because you are also like in the public eye to an extent. And I imagine that adds to a lot of pressure. So like, how are you able to sometimes filter that out and stay so grounded? Because you sound so grounded and like you, yeah. you have mm -hmm. those priorities in your support system and like you've really fostered those relationships. Yeah, I think a, a big part of, a lot of the doubt or a lot of like the disappointment it's I know my family is a consistent aspect in my life and most of my good friends but I think it's come for like the social pressures of yeah like social media and things like that where like you post or for me like I do post a lot of things that relate to track and field and even going into a major competition that might determine my participation in the Olympics I'm gonna have to post if I make it or not and yeah. like a lot of people are expecting me to make it. And so I think that's sometimes where I struggle. I have to realize that's not about like that audience, even though like I do want to include them in certain parts of my life. Um, their validation doesn't make me who I am. And so that's where it, I struggle. I still struggle. I'm never not going to. Like I'm always going to be like, oh, great, I had a bad time. And sometimes I think like, do I have to post this? Like, I should have to post this because I show the good I should show the bad too but these are people that are pretty ruthless on, online and they can say some mean things and you want to avoid that sometimes so I think that's the biggest um uh that's like the biggest challenge when it comes to um knowing if you're supported or not because some people online do define you by your performances and can choose to get off of the the bus you know if they're not supportive they don't want to be supportive anymore if you're not doing well and so you really do have to find consistency and focus on that those people aren't as important yeah, you know filter out filter out the bad shit well i think consi consistency <laughs> yeah, too, though, right, exactly. is, is such an important 
messaging kind of like I mean like you are in a place where you've had to be consistent right like your training has to be consistent your expectations have to be consistent right and and you've you've talked about all this stuff but that's a really good message to to go out to everybody that's listening to this I think um and so brilliant of you uh mm-hmm. like you either are going to become uh, you know some sort of a therapist or sports psychologist uh just on rights of like how how eloquent and and like well spoken you are uh about all this stuff um, or leader of the world or the evil empire, one of the two. Um, <laughs> either we support either or, yeah, you know, well, you got our vote. It's fine. In the ranking, in the, in, the, in the ranked votes, right? Like that's going back, throwing back to that. Um, but, but that idea of consistency is, is especially when we talk about, um, you know, like where exercise, where fitness comes into your life, your world is a really important statement. Well, right consistency of support yeah. consistency of support consistency of effort consistency yeah. consistency yeah instead of trying to constantly yeah uh, impress people because you do get attached to that idea especially it happens in so many aspects of our life like we're, we're trying to impress someone we have a crush on you're doing things out of nature and you're kind of like this person may not consistently like me if i wasn't right. always trying to impress them so i think my biggest goal is to always find that mm. common ground where people are going to love you um, and support you no matter how well or how bad or whatever, you know? So yeah, it can definitely be related cool. to any Do you have a question? part of your life. I was going to ask, so <laughs> if you had to pick three pillars that basically have been a huge part of your success, what three would you pick? Um, do you mean like in terms of milestones or three like keys that I take with me kind of three things that if you didn't have you don't think you'd be as successful as you have been Mm -hmm. yeah um uh, I think my family for sure um they've taught me to be resilient and to never quit and I think no matter how tough it has gotten I found a way through and it would have been way easier to quit like way easier and so um I'm, I'm glad that they taught me that so with their their um, knowledge and support. I think that's one of the main things. Um, I also think like, I'm not sure who taught me this, but I think another pillar would just be, um, to have a very strong sense of self. Like, and I think my friend group maybe have taught me that a little bit just because they're all so unique and we come together and can be such independent people yet. Like we work somehow and um, so trying not to like always fit the status quo, um, I, I think um, being your yourself and and finding that in whatever aspect of life it may be is really, really important. And it has allowed me to be like a way better person. Um, and then I also think like the, the value of like education, not even just in school, but like being globally educated, traveling. Um, finding like education in everything that you do. So my sport has taught me a lot about life <laughs> and, um, and even my schooling. I went to the university of Wisconsin and, um, I focused a lot on education and it has taught me a lot of things about my sport and how to improve my life. So I think those three things are definitely what has gotten me to where, I, where I am. Um, not just as an athlete, but definitely mindset wise. But I think, um, I don't think I would have got to Tokyo if I didn't think this way. And because of those three things, I mm-hmm. think this way, you know, so it was cool. pretty cool. <laughs> and then 
what were you thinking the moment that you walked in to the giant stadium, like at the beginning of the Olympics? Like what was the first thought that went through your head? I always wonder what athletes are thinking in that moment. It's really, really hot. Uh, yeah, that or I hope I look good on camera. <laughs> you did. <laughs> it's so funny because my mom knows me so well. And she like the one of the first texts she sent me was like, well, you look good. And I'm like, oh, yes, like, <laughs> mom. go mom. <laughs> I know, it's so funny because like they, you do these introductions. Like that's the first thing you do when you come out. It's like they have this big camera and they... Um, they instruct you on how to come out. So they say, okay, we're going to like be like three, two, one. And then you come out into this X and then you stand there. And then someone behind the camera is like, is like wait, wait. Uh, and then they're like, okay, come through. So you don't know how long you're going to be standing there, but the camera's on you and you're, they're talking about you. So you, some people like plan something. Some people just look really awkward. And so I'm like, oh, I don't have anything planned. Like, what am I going to do? And so... <laughs> That was one of the first moments. It's just hilarious. I'm so nervous, but I'm still thinking like, oh, this is the first time that people, so many people at once are going to see me on TV doing what I do best. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of a funny intro. Um, it worked out better than I thought. And then, um, yeah. And then it was just like, oh, great. Another whole heptathlon. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start this thing at some point. So. Yeah, the biggest hurdle was like the walkout, and then you're like, okay, yeah, heptathlon, that I can do. Yeah. That's so and you think, oh, great, I have seven events before me. That's <laughs> so interesting to hear, like your apprehension over having uh, a competition that you have so much passion for. It sounds almost like when I don't really feel like going to work. I love my job, but I still don't always feel like doing it. Do you find that happens before most of your competitions? Yeah, that's a, that's. Honestly, it's probably exactly how you feel when you go into, into work when you're like, this is what I want to do with my life. Like, I know it's better than me, but um, I just don't want to go in today. Like, it is exactly like that. And so a lot of the times you're like, um, what I do is so cool and I'm so lucky to have these opportunities, but it's seven events and I don't know if I want to put my body through that again. And I'm, I know it's going to be stressful and it's going to be so physically challenging and all that stuff, but it's definitely love hate like it is the definition of love hate like i don't know what i would do with my life without it right now at least um but doing it does not always make me happy <laughs> this is like the most comforting thing for me to hear right now because whether you're an athlete or you know just one of us regular people <laughs> you uh, you have those feelings and it it's very it's very nice to know that I'm not alone in that even with somebody who's so high performance and has such an incredible story so that's really cool to hear yeah, and I think it's the same maybe with you guys in work or whatever it is whatever your passions are like you if you get too much of it, it can be overwhelming. But then when you leave it for a week or two, you're kind of like, oh, I want to come back. And that's when you know that it's truly your passion. Yeah, I'm going to say that a lot of people don't feel that way about their jobs. But... That's true. true. I feel that way about my job. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. It's very comfort oh, comforting for girl. us. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Well, I feel it's almost like a, an identity crisis when all of a sudden you don't have it anymore, which is kind of what you were talking about earlier as soon as the Olympics are over. Um, yep. where you're just like, I don't even know who I am without this thing anymore. Yeah. And it's a really weird limbo place that's very uncomfortable. So I really resonated with that when you were talking about, what do I 
do with myself? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's crazy. I think everyone experiences that if they have a true passion in their life, even if it's outside of work mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Like, I think most people do. So, yeah. Okay. So if we look at your your athleticism basically as a career like what does your day look like when your nine to five is athletics are you warming up are you recovering are you managing injuries like, are there ice are baths <laughs> are there ice baths yes there are um well i think it, my life right now as an athlete looks a lot different than when it did when i was a collegiate athlete collegiate athletics is pretty intense it's you wake up you go to class you go to practice, you go to another class, you do recovery, you lift, then you try and do homework and somehow fit in your social life. And it's just like, you're exhausted. I think that's why it's really hard to reach your full potential in college as an athlete. Um, But now it, my whole life revolves around it. So (laughs) I wake up um, and I usually make my breakfast, maybe do a few business things because I do work with an agent, um, uh, a talent agent as well. So I have a lot of stuff to do off the track which is nice because I like having that. Um, and then I go to practice at around 11 and our practices now that I'm not in college, we can spend as much time as we'd like on the track, which is good and bad. Um, we start at like 1130 and we go until about 430, um, maybe a little bit longer if we have a lift. And then after that, I go to the physio and I do my physiotherapy um, and recovery. That usually takes about an hour. And then I go home and I probably am home around 6.30 or 7. And then I make dinner and maybe play a few video games and then I go to sleep. Just a, <laughs> That's not very exciting. It's a normal day. It's, it's literally like the 9 to 5 lifestyle. But we, it is except I'm exhausted after. My yeah. body is just like, even if I wanted a social life, like I on those days, it would not be possible. So um, it is nice to have times like this and it allows me to regroup when I need to go back to training because I see all my friends at once and I'm like, we're still friends. Like I promise we are. And then I go back to train for a few more months. <laughs> so in in that day, do you, this may be a little bit off. Uh, do you make your own food? Do you have somebody create a meal plan for you? Like I'm super curious how an athlete eats. Yeah. Did you have coaching in that? Uh, I do often create my own food because I like, the creativity to do my own cooking, but I have had just on the the agency side with working with my agent, I have like did deals with food companies. So I would do like deliveries every uh, Monday and Wednesday. Um, mm. And it would just be like refrigerated container meals that you can eat up that are like really nutritious and they have all the, the, um, the information and all the ingredients listed on like a big page and they're like catered to athletes. So I've done that for a while, which has made my life really convenient, but I found that I was losing the um, creativity and the, the, the hobby of cooking. And so um, I, I make pretty simple meals. Like I'm not, I don't, unless I have time, I don't really get crazy with it, but I have no dietary restrictions or anything like that. And so um, I, I, pretty much eat similar things for breakfast every day because it's just, I, when I get into a routine, everything becomes a routine. And so even though like I'm, I'm would call myself a spontaneous person when I get into the rhythm of training, it is so structured to the point where I eat almost the same thing every day. I go on training from the same time to the same time every day. Um, and 
eventually I need a break. I'm like, okay, I've done the same thing for so long. Um, I need to go visit home or I need to go on a camping trip or something like that. So it's important to have mental breaks, even if you enjoy what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Good point. Um, You're talking about working with a talent agent. What kind of things do you book outside of the, uh, like, is it all just speaking for meal prep companies or is it like, like what else, like what else do you do? Like that sounds exciting. How have we not talked about that yet? Yeah, it's really exciting and interesting because it is, even though track and field brought this opportunity to me because of my achievements on the track or maybe my presence on social media, whichever one it is. Um, but it is really cool to, to almost do the entrepreneurial side of it. Like I, I studied that in college as well. And I'm using, getting the most use out of it because doing com- communicating with different brands, seeing their like marketing strategies, um, building like a, a media profile to send to them, studying my analytics on social media are really cool. And just seeing what kind of reach I have and like the voice that I have online is almost weird. Like, I don't know if I'm, I'm ready for that, but um, it is also cool talking to different brands and, and doing, I don't love to do a ton of promotional stuff, but just working side by side with brands is really cool. And um, in understanding what they're about, like, I think coming up, I'm, I'm, doing a speech at an event um, for transition lenses. So it's like sunglasses, but they're like really cool. <laughs> well, some people think they're cool. <laughs> they're well, they're um, just really stylish glasses that you can wear indoor and outdoor. And they used to be something that only old people wore, but I think they're really cool. And so I'm doing like a motivational speech at their conference. And I'm like, this is something so interesting and outside of the box. And I meet so many cool people doing that kind of stuff as well. So I get excited. You, you mentioned having a voice online and you're not really sure what to do with that. And you kind of smiled. Um, have you thought about what you want to do with your voice online in addition to branding and that kind of marketing stuff? I struggle with it a little bit, especially on Instagram because that's my main platform. And um, I have always prided myself from being authentically myself in every area of my life. And I think that's why I mean, I I can't speak for them, but I think that's why people like following me. And so, um, I, it's hard for me to now try to integrate like pitched posts and promotional posts within that. Cause I don't want them to think that I'm using my page purely as a business. And so I don't think people see also behind the scenes that there are so many other deals that I could take and make a couple thousand dollars off of posting about it. But I want to keep my authenticity, um, valued to me. And to keep my audience engaged with my page by being myself. And so I would rather turn down deals like that and and create like a good image and a good, um, to keep the stereotype that I already have, you know, um, than to to make it all about money. Um, So I think I struggle with that a little bit, especially when I have to, or I I, uh, take business posts and I, I have to do those, which I really enjoy working with brands and stuff. I think sometimes I have to find the balance between um, the, integrated promotional posts and being fully myself and making fun of myself a little bit too because people really enjoy that (laughs) we we get a lot of love for that on our page as well (laughs) yeah people love it when you're like kind of a little quirky and like joke about yourself and like make fun of yourself and i'm like i have no problem doing that so (laughs) keep it up (laughs) yeah people love the bloopers they do um, so I would love to know what were your 
favorite moments that you had? Because I think I imagine that the Olympics was probably like the ultimate goal. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So when you went to the Olympics, what would you say was the biggest memory you have, whether it was actually during competition or outside of competition, that was the coolest thing that happened to you? Uh, I, I think this is probably the biggest moment. And some people may not understand it as much, but to me, it was the biggest moment when I was doing, I was down on the track. Um, doing a high jump competition. So I finished the hurdles and I'm now doing high jump. And there's other races going on on the track. And these are people that I've watched on TV, like all this, these people that I idolize over pretty much racing in the same competition that I am. And it was the women's 400 meter hurdles. Um, and there was three girls in it that were contending for the world record. And I was just like standing there, like about to watch this race and being like, I am not in the stands right now. Like I am literally down here competing on the same track at the same time as someone who's about to crush a world record. And then they did, they did just that. They crushed the world record. And I saw it right there, almost missed my attempt in the high jump. <laughs> and I watched it. And then I just watched these three girls with their flags walking around the track. And I'm like staring at them like a major fan girl, just being like, we are equals. Like, that's so crazy to me. Mm-hmm. And just, like, being, like, wow, I'm, like, exactly what I had dreamed of always being. And um, they're looking at me, watching me, and, like, I'm just, like, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> it's almost like when you have, like, a major um, celebrity idol or something, or something that you have a passion for, and you're, like, that is, like, the person that I want to be, or that's the person that I want to, like, fulfill their footsteps, or whatever it is. And then you're suddenly there and then you have to tell yourself that you're there. (laughs) This is really happening. And so that was like the coolest moment for me just to realize, I think that I was actually Mm -hmm. off the Olympics. Like I did all this work and I kind of got lost in it a bit, but um, that's where I like had a light bulb moment and being like, no matter what happens here, like I'm at the Olympics, like I'm still here. I have, I still have to clear this bar. I'm a little distracted, but it was really cool to be a part of it. If I recall, you did well clearing the bar. Right. Yeah, and I think it amped me up a little bit. I was like, "Oh, they right. think that's impressive. Check this out." Wasn't <laughs> 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 that impressive? I wanted to ask you, I kind of got chills when you were talking about watching three world record uh, contenders, and what was it like to be around so many female athletes at that level? Because you know, um, being in Canada, there's lots of female athletes, but when you go your day to day, you don't necessarily meet that many others. So going to a place like the Olympics and being surrounded by these amazing people, what was that like, especially as a woman? It was so cool to see these women who have obviously dedicated so much of their life to doing what they love doing and they've become very successful at it. And I think a lot of people don't realize the sacrifices and that they've made in their life to be able to achieve this. And a lot of it is sacrifices in your own personality. So like you may want to take a different career path at some point in your life, or you may want to like um, have a family right away or whatever it is. And they have to suppress a lot of that in order to achieve what they want to achieve. But that doesn't take away that they still have a sense of humor. They still love other things other than their sport. It's just that they've decided that for this amount of time in my life, 
I'm going to dedicate all of my attention to what I want to achieve. And so I think people sometimes forget that we have very big personalities outside of our sport. And I realized that about these women as well, is that they're just so good at holding that off for a while until they achieve what they want to achieve. And that takes so much discipline. And so if I think that I'm doing that and I see them succeeding at even grander scale, it's just, they get all of my respect for being able to do that. And hopefully that they'll be able to reap the rewards of what they do want to do at some point in their life because they've achieved what they want to do. And hopefully that they can allow themselves to at some point as, as well mentally, you know? So it's really cool to see that because they're, they're people like they have, they're really funny and they're charismatic and they're, they're personable. And um, I think we forget that. And we just think that they go out there like robots and they go and do their thing. And then they step off like Simone Biles, you know, and then he shows that she's human. And so um, I think I realized a lot of that, especially meeting these women in person. Do you get a, a lot of responses like that? Like kind of be tr- being treated like an athletic robot, in your own words, <laughs> uh, instead of a, a human being? Does that happen a lot? I did see, like I was um, scrolling through some videos while I was actually at the Olympics. And there's some Olympians making like these hilarious videos. They have time. So we're just like, they're being creative and stuff. And some of the comments are like, huh, Olympians are funny? I thought you, you guys just spawned in the village. <laughs> it's like, no, we we have personality traits that are other than performing. <laughs> and I think people, um, the large presence on social media throughout the games is really good for us because we're allowed to show our emotions more than we ever have before without at least like in-person spectators always being involved. So even though people are watching on camera, I think this Olympics was really special because it was a little bit more private in terms of showing raw emotion during the actual game. Yeah, of course. But I saw um, even when people like had lost, they're like not afraid to show the disappointment. And a lot of times they have to put on a happy face for the crowd or whatever it is, or the winners can celebrate as much as they like with their teammates and not have to suppress it or whatever it is because there's people watching them. And so... It was interesting to see um, how raw this, this Olympic Games was in terms of emotion, which I thought was really unique to, other, to any other game. Yeah, it was interesting watching from the perspective of just like uh, the average person viewer. Why'd um, you point at me? Not because that you mentioned average cam. No, you're not average at all. <laughs> but you mentioned than you were talking okay, about you're talking kidding. about average people before. <laughs> I, this is. <laughs> Um, but no, like coming, coming from that perspective though, of, of being an observer watching it, um, that was really gripping to me was seeing that, that amount of emotion that was going on. Like even watching your event, like some of the competitors, um, you know, I think I I can't recall, there was somebody competing, I believe from Brazil and like it like the emotions were just giant like i was like i was like standing there with the oscar like ready to you know like hand it over because but but i mean like <laughs> any of the events like i i i i am realizing now as you say that that yeah like it was a really emotional uh competition which is maybe unique that's a really interesting observation um yeah that's cool holy crow I think that's also the 
the climate that we're in now, you know, people are allowed to demonstrate their emotions more. And I don't know if that's because of COVID, but I think in part people have been allowed to actually be their raw, authentic selves and publicly a lot more than ever before. So I wonder if that might have played into what happened at the Olympics. Unless people just couldn't hold back anymore because the pandemic too much. was like the last straw that they were carrying on their backs. <laughs> I yeah, totally. Well. I think they had one more, they had a whole other year to be like, oh, we're still at this. Yeah. Like five years running. Uh, and then that was the moment. They're like, five years, here's the moment. I'm going to let all of my emotions like go right now. So I think that was also it. Just being like, built up stress, trying to keep yourself held to the standard to achieve what you want to do. And then you did it. Okay, well, I'm just going to like yeah, let myself go for a second. And uh, it was really interesting. It was really cool. And uh, yeah, I think without the spectators, it, it um, allowed people to be okay with that with themselves, which is awesome. So um, I hope we get that again at the next Olympics and, and to show that this one had a huge impact yeah. on the people watching because of that. And maybe that is okay. We don't need to be a tough guy all the time. (laughs) For the next Olympics, do you have a preference of type of world calamity that you'd prefer to see? Like rather than a pandemic, should it be like a climate emergency, alien invasion? Um, Oh, I like that one. Yeah. Like do do you have a preference for what kind of uh, a world calamity that we should be in? Hmm. Honestly, I feel like whatever it is, it cannot be worse. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Because well, I was going to say, don't jinx it. Oh, man. <laughs> I, okay, what I'm trying to say is that I am equipped to handle whatever comes next because um, I don't think that any, at, at least like in terms of perspective, it definitely made me so much more grateful to do what I do. Yeah. And to, but I, I also kind of treat it with just that. And I don't know about you guys, but it almost like, at the beginning of the pandemic, it made me realize how many things I looked forward to, how many things I was um, getting excited about and hoped for. And then the pandemic almost trained me to not get excited for almost anything because it might not happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's really sad. That's and so like, dark so- and it's so true. Dampened expectations <laughs> of everybody. And everyone's talking like that. They're like, oh, we're going to go to Mexico like next month. If we can, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, but, it's just so sad because now everything's like, oh, I want to do this. If the pandemic ends. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, we have so many aspirations. Now we're kind of taking it with a grain of salt, like, maybe. Now I'm lucky if I get like a nice family dinner this weekend. <laughs> but yeah. I think- so maybe it can, you can see it from both sides. You can be like, well, maybe I, I shouldn't get my hopes up or let's take, uh, let's, you know, never take anything for granted and let's be grateful for what we do get to, to um, experience. But it's know? like the whole like Charlie Buckets like approach to life, right? That we've all kind of had to uh, take where I think we have a lot of privilege. Um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. Yeah. I'm well, like, I mean, like, because he was this like... another reference that I have no idea what Cam's talking about again. No, Probably. I watched Probably. Charlie and yeah. the Chocolate Factory, yes. But like, <laughs> but, but where like we, we all had so much like privilege and we like didn't really think about it and whatever and then this kind of like puts that all into to check so um i think that's you know like not to be pessimistically pessimistically optimistic but like 
it really is one of those things where like all of a sudden that first family dinner, that first like time that you get to go travel becomes so much more special now, like all of a sudden. Right. So like, I don't know, maybe, maybe there is a, maybe you're right. Maybe there is a silver lining to the, the whole like thing. Right. Because you, you have all these cool perspectives that really are bottled in this moment in like in that Olympics because the next Olympics isn't going to be the same the next family dinner is not going to be the same you're going to remember how much you like dislike your cousin or your aunt or your sister or like whatever <laughs> like it's going to be <laughs> it's you know like oh right you're the annoying aunt oh darn mm. yeah. so uh, yeah, yeah it's like Olympians are, are pretty relatable to most people and we're technically average people or like normal people or whatever you want to call it as well we're just Us normies we're specialized in something to a degree that takes us to a certain place <laughs> so georgia this has been so fun hearing yeah. about your like very unique experience as an olympian and we really appreciate how you've been able to like you're so relatable and i think i'm sure our listeners and clients and stuff will be able to take away so much from this it's been so, so lovely yeah. for us to listen to this you have such a beautiful perspective on like the struggles the challenges and the successes you've been through so yeah thank you so much for sharing um that's all I have to say. No, um. That's not a very good outro. Yeah. Well, I also want to thank you guys for having me on this. It's been a lot of fun and it allowed me to share things that I don't usually get to share. So it's been really nice talking to you guys. Um, my Instagram is, I'll say it first. It's George underscore ah, so George ah, but it's, it's G-E-O-R-G-E underscore A-H-H-H. So, three so listeners... So listeners, make yeah, sure you check out her Instagram page because she has a lot of amazing content on there and you can hear it through her voice and through this podcast that she only shares her most genuine self, which is so rare in Olympians. So we thank you so much for joining us today and we hope everybody really enjoyed this podcast as much as we did. Yeah. yeah. And if there's anything that we can help anybody out with, of course, feel free to reach out to us. We're more than happy to work with you. Maybe we can get you to the Olympics. Maybe. I mean, we're pretty maybe, good coaches. Maybe, maybe we can we get can train you, to be, you and carry you there maybe, on Cam's back. Oh my gosh! Maybe we can get you just to be consistent enough with your exercise that you feel like an Olympian. Yes, How that, that we can do. Yeah, yeah. There you go. all right. Well, this has been episode twenty of Wave Talks Fitness for Humans. We are Three Wave Fitness. That is Georgia. Everybody is amazing, and we hope everybody has a wonderful rest of your day how about that beautiful yeah <laughs> thank you Georgia. thank you so much you were awesome this Thanks. was great so bye, bye. bye. <laughs> yeah